0: Ready? Ready. You think it would be awkward for the worship team if I started preaching before they got off the stage? I got three sermons in here. So I'm just watching to see which one I have to pull out. Not really. Okay. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18 through 24, says this. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off in Centuria, for, uh, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, uh, to stay a time longer with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, "I must, by all means, keep this uh, coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return to you again. Uh, I will turn again to you, God willing." And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea and gone up to, uh, uh, gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the region of uh, Galatia and Phygia uh, in order, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24, and now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, after being fervent in the spirit He spoke and taught accurately to things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And and when he desired to cross, um, Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be an instrument of you. Lord God, I pray I could speak the words you had me to speak, and lives would be changed because they were open and accepting of the word from you, Lord. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Alright, so we're in Acts chapter 18, and we had just come from last week. Paul's been in Corinth for six months, ruffling the feathers of the Jews. He was almost beaten up a few times, but generally he just keeps doing what Paul always does. He's got some scars. He doesn't seem to mind getting in tussles with people uh, verbally. Um, and so he's just been in Corinth doing what he does. Now, in Corinth, Paul makes some friends with a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Interestingly enough, one of the only examples I could find of where a married couple specifically is talked about being in a ministry together like that, uh, equal partners in the ministry. Imagine a Uh, a spiritual model where you had husbands and wives ministering together, equally yoked. And they became quick friends and partners in ministry. Um, They were tent makers by trade, as was Paul. Um, What I found out too was that Paul was a tent maker and that's kind of a weird concept to think about because I thought he was uh, raised as a Pharisee and knew all the scripture and all that stuff. But this is what I learned, is that uh, oftentimes the Pharisees at a young age, as they were growing up, were taught a skill, taught a, a trade. Because eventually they're going to have to make money somehow So if things were going awry, then you got your trade and and you're going to be okay So it's no surprise that Paul had a trade He was a tent maker as well So Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, they're all tent makers at the same time And Priscilla and Aquila have a full-time job But they're still heavily invested in the ministry with Paul And it was a lifestyle for them We see in Romans chapter 16, verse 3 through 5, it says, uh, this is Paul writing a letter. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the churches that meet in their house. So we see humble, hardworking people. They're dedicated. They've got a church in their house from time to time. As we see in the scriptures, more than once they have churches in their house. They're doing ministry full time. And they're making it happen. They have a firm grasp on the gospel of Christ. And being Paul's friend, I would imagine they were also marginalized and villainized by the Jews and probably struggled as well with the cultural religious system around them. As Paul pushes back on everybody there and telling them how they're wrong and how Christ is the way, um, my guess is that even more so, everybody else that Paul hung hung out with was getting pressure and pushed back on But they're still making this thing happen. So let's read again Acts chapter eighteen, eighteen through twenty three says this. So Paul still remained there for a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed to Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and he had his hair cut off in Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left Priscilla and Aquila there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, a longer time uh, with them, he did not consent, but he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means Uh, keep this coming festival in Jerusalem, a feast in Jerusalem. But I will return to you again, God willing, and he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed in uh, Caesarea and gone up to greet and greeted the churches, he went down to Antioch. And after he'd spent some time there, he departed and went all the way over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all disciples. This is vintage Paul the Apostle. He gets beat up someplace, he hangs out. Do you notice how they said, so Paul still remained there a good while? After he almost got lynched? And remember, Pastor Steve talked about it? Like he got hauled in front of the council, they're gonna beat him up, and then they end up beating some other guy up. So he remained there a good while. Sometimes I get the, the feeling from Paul that, and I mean, maybe that's sinful. Maybe I shouldn't project that on him. If I were to have that same behavior, it'd be like, Psh, what? I'm still here. I'm just going to keep preaching in the synagogue. That's how I mean. That's probably just Paul. Paul wouldn't do something like that. But he just keeps on his ministry journey everywhere he goes, visiting churches and doing what he does, encouraging the brethren. In 2 in, uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it says this. This is Paul speaking, of course. He says, I charge you, therefore, by God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead uh, at his appearing in his kingdom. Stop for a second. Sometimes when we talk about the Jesus of the New Testament, and we just talk about grace and love, we forget the very clear verses that talk about Him coming to judge the living and the dead. I don't know. We should probably just lock that one in the back of our brain um, next time we want to take his grace for a ride. Okay. I charge you, therefore, before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing uh, and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Yes. That's what Paul did. Yeah. That's That's his story. And so Priscilla and Aquila, no doubt, learning this approach from Paul, this is probably what they did too in their time of ministry. They learned how to convince people and rebuke people and exhort people. But here's the key that I think sometimes we miss as well because of the way our attitudes are as people. It says, do that, rebuke but with long-suffering and teaching. So what's the motivation here to rebuke somebody? It's certainly not to put them in their place. It's to teach them, right? Long-suffering. The definition of long-suffering is having or showing patience in spite of trouble, especially those troubles caused by other people. Well, I have trouble... Me, not you, I have trouble having patience with people who are causing the trouble for me. (laughs) You have caused your own trouble, but I'm going to patiently rebuke you to help you learn and teach you. That's what we do, right? All the time. Every day I write that in my journal. I carefully rebuked somebody today (laughs) with long suffering for their benefit. Now, Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus, and that's where we first meet Apollos. Let's look at uh, Acts chapter 18, 24 and 25. It says this. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, he came to Ephesus. This man has been instructed in the ways of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, not in the spirit, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. Now, Apollos is a powerful and well-respected preacher. I'm pretty sure, at least according to some scholars, it appears to me as if, in doing the research, that this is actually what he did for a living. Or at least somehow he was compensated for it. Going place to place, going in the synagogues, preaching eloquently, like this guy knows what he's doing. He's highly valued and respected. He's favored in the synagogues. He has credibility. He has skill and he has respect. The Jews loved him. Now he comes preaching to talk about Jesus, but why do they keep inviting him into the synagogues? When Paul comes talking about Jesus, they kick him out of the synagogues, right? Obviously, he's got some kind of uh, special gifting that allows him to come and speak and just fascinate people. Have you ever met somebody like that who says a bunch of hard stuff and everybody's like, that was so good. (laughs) What part did you like about it? You know, I don't know. Just the whole thing. The whole thing was great. (laughs) I think he was this kind of person. He could just come in and just capture a room and just, uh, just, but not just that, but connect it to application. I think he was the kind of preacher who could come in and just take the scriptures and bring them all apart, explain them, and then bring them all together so you know how to apply it to your life not just inspirational, but like he can make this thing happen. He knows his word. He's good at it. He's a subject matter expert at it, if you will. And that's what he does. He knows about the Messiah. He knows the Messiah is coming. He knows what John the Baptist was was teaching. He could see the Savior coming in the scriptures. He can connect the dots. He knows it's going to happen. John's out there as one crying in the wilderness. And Apollos is like, I get it. The Messiah is coming. I know. I can see it in scripture. I know what you're talking about. And John preaches the baptism of repentance. And that's the baptism that he knows. That's the gospel he's aware of. So Apollo is missing one very important part. Of his preaching. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. Imagine if someone was such a great orator that they could capture crowds of thousands with what they have to say. They know the Bible inside and out, but somehow they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. It'd be kind of sad, right? I mean, imagine how many people would be led down in the wrong direction by someone who can capture everyone's attention, but they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1-3 through three says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, this, the, this, um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. That's John the Baptist, voice crying in the wilderness, for paying, preparing the way for the Lord to make His path straight. In Matthew chapter three, verse eleven. <clears throat> I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. So you think Apollo should be listening, right? This is probably a part he should have keyed into since he knew the baptism of John. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Apollo's incomplete gospel has produced Incomplete disciples. Yeah, so let's look at, uh, Kevin's going to preach in Acts chapter 19, but I'm going to go ahead and highlight some verses so you're prepared for them. (laughs) (laughs) Acts chapter 19, and this isn't, you don't have the slide there, so it's okay. Let's just follow along the old school way. Acts chapter 19, 1 through 5 says this. And it happened while Apollos was at uh, while then it happened while Apollos was at Corinth uh, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" And they said to him, "We have not so much as heard of whether there is a Holy Spirit." And he said to them, "Into what were you baptized?" So they said, "Into John's baptism." Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on the Christ Jesus. Apollos is up to speed so far, right? And then verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. Where do you think they got that gospel from? From Apollos. Easy connection, right? Apollos was going through Ephesus. He only knew the, the uh, baptism of uh, John. He only knew the baptism of repentance. He was aware that there was a Savior. He knew John. These guys are like, yeah, we know who Jesus is, and we've, and we've repented, but who's this Holy Spirit person? <laughs> the same question that Apollos apparently has, correct? <clears throat> My first point is this. Giving correction takes courage. No, 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 not chapter 19. We're back, in, uh, we're back in Acts. Acts chapter 18, verse 26. So he, being Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila, let me start over. So he, which is Apollos, began speaking boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. So we got Priscilla and Aquila, blue-collar tent makers, probably got dirt under their fingernails. They're probably not thought of well by the Jews. Now you have this somewhat of a celebrity preacher who's now come into the synagogue in Ephesus. They hear him preaching, and they see that he's missing a very keen point about the gospel of who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do. So they could have easily just said, it's not our business. We'll just let it go. The Jews don't like them anyway. What is it going to look like when they stop Apollos and want to talk to him? Do you think the Jews are going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, go with those people. They're good influence. No. They could have easily just said, I'm going to stay in my lane. It's not my problem. They'll figure it out. We'll let Paul deal with it when Paul runs into him. They could have done all that stuff, but they didn't. It would have been easy to do that. Apollos is a celebrity, subject matter expert. He knows the scriptures inside and out, but they didn't do that. They showed courage in looking past the situation to the greater good and getting involved. They got involved. They pulled him aside to correct him. They could have easily not. Um, at, uh, At work right now, this is to share, share a short work story. This might be difficult if you've talked to me lately. Mm-hmm. They all kind of explode, don't they? Um, but I'll try to share. It. I'll be concise with it. So right now at work, we're preparing for this big earthquake drill. There was a big one back in, like, I think it was 2016. This is just like a Redmond version of let's practice what we learned, because in another year or two, we're going to have another gigantic region-wide, I think it could even be nationwide. I don't know. I just got looped in about six weeks ago. So, I'm still trying to get up to speed on this thing. But part of the drill is, there's uh, what they're calling assumptions, which basically means when the big earthquake happens, and we don't have any technology, and roads are cut off and all this kind of things here's a bunch of things you need to be prepared to do Uh, and they're going to evaluate on it uh, evaluate us on it and one of the things that we need to be prepared to do is communicate and provide service to people who don't speak English they're non-English speaking and they're going to come to the fire station and speak a different language and we're going to have to know what to do with it and so uh, many of you probably know about Google Translate, right? Um, did you know you can download languages for offline use? Yep. You can. Uh, and so, shoot, downloaded Spanish, Arabic, Chinese, Hindu, Russian, Urdu, Hindi. Ready to go, right? Showed them how to use it. Offline, everything's good to go. So as I'm thinking of my plan of how I'm going to do this, one of the emergency managers says to me, and what about people who are non-hearing, deaf people? And I was like, pencil and paper, got it. She said, really? That should have been my cue (laughs) that there's more to it than that. But listen, I got a job to do. I'm an expert at responding to emergencies. I'm pretty sure we could just do pencil and paper. So then later I'm talking and I'm explaining to some of the crews about this and I'm talking to uh, I have a rookie there. He's been on less than a year. I'm a lieutenant been there about 17 years. Uh, so maybe if you don't understand the fire service, uh, there's a little bit of uh, pomp and circumstance that go around with years of service and rank. And typically young people aren't really eager to challenge the older experienced people. Not this guy. He was good with it. <laughs> so I'm telling him the plan and I'm telling how it's going to go. And I told him, and then you know if somebody doesn't see, you know if somebody's deaf then we'll just pencil and paper and he goes, "Uh, well, lieutenant, actually." And so apparently this guy took sign language in college. <laughs> and so he made me aware of the fact that many deaf people don't speak or read, read or write regular English. They sign. And so, I'm like, yeah, but can I just write out words? they like, but, but they didn't learn it that way. They learned sign language. Imagine this. And so, listen, imagine if there was a bunch of words in a book of places and names that are very difficult to pronounce. And so, every time you go to read them or pronounce them or present them, you pronounce them wrong. Because you're looking at the letters, you think they should mean something, but imagine if you couldn't, you never heard the sounds of how these things connect, how difficult it would be. You know, when I was in uh, uh, Cambodia, all the signs are in Khmer, which are symbols. So not only can I not sound out letters, I don't even know what these symbols are. So imagine if English is your second language because you do sign language. And so I'm like, wow, I'm a little embarrassed now. (laughs) No clue. I could have been totally embarrassed on drill day when somebody showed up and was like, I don't know what your piece of paper says. So I was like, wow, that's great. Thank you for uh, letting me know that. You really helped me out. And then I said, hey, help me come up with a plan to be prepared for this when the drill shows up. Now, I could have been upset with him. I could have said go talk to your lieutenant and have your lieutenant talk to me and then gone back and tried to research it myself because I didn't want him to see that I didn't know what I was doing could have been embarrassing but I didn't I said hey find me that sign language finger spelling chart so we can have it and so they could point to the the symbols and then I could see the letters and I could point to letters and I could see the symbols so we could communicate when somebody needs help and they're in need that's good but let it be something that I feel like I'm actually an expert in and see if I take correction so easily. Sometimes that's where we kind of puff up our chest, right? But this rookie had courage. He had courage to go ahead and say, hey, Lieutenant, I don't really know you that well. You're not my Lieutenant, but you rove around the stations quite a bit. Uh, You're wrong. And I appreciate that because I'll share a story in a little bit where uh, people didn't have the courage and some things went terribly wrong. But it takes courage. But here, the deal is giving correction is not just telling somebody they're wrong or what to do or what not to do or using scripture to try to humble them. Because I think sometimes that's how the correction comes out, right? Listen. Paul corrected and rebuked people, so I just want to let you know you're totally wrong. What you did was dumb, and and I'm offended. That's not correction and and rebuking, (laughs) because remember, Paul said to do it with all long suffering and and patience, right? Patience, care for the other person, concern you got to take the time and care enough to learn and teach them the right way without offending them in the process. When somebody gets offended, it's not always their fault. They're offended. Sometimes it's your fault for being offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really honestly, and this is an honest statement, I don't think I can find any place in the Bible where it says you can go ahead and offend people. Good right? You can be honest, you can be truthful, you can be fair, you can be firm, you can correct people but I never see where it's just like, listen just tell them what's what they better get used to it right? So, if we're going to correct people we're going to have to do it in the right way Vince Lombardi, iconic football coach, he said, praise in public criticize in private. If you want to go ahead and ruin a relationship blow somebody up in public (laughs) If you want to make things hard on yourself, call a leader out in public on Facebook. Man, I don't know why we don't get this. Think about it. Before you say something to somebody, think about what if somebody said that to me in front of everybody around me? Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah, don't do that. It's not good. Praise in public. Save those good, awesome words you have to encourage somebody. Save them for when there's other people around. Really make it worth it. (laughs) But if you're going to criticize somebody or rebuke them, do you see how the scripture says they took Apollo aside? Uh, One translation says they took took him to their house. So they're like, hey, we don't want to embarrass this guy in front of everybody. Let's go way over here and we'll just talk about it real quick over here. That took a lot of courage, man, because you know what? You never know how people are going to respond to stuff like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we, we don't want to try to correct people uh, because we don't know how they're going to take it, and we're afraid it's going to embarrass us or cause a fight. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we're almost obligated to help each other out in that way, right? When you see somebody going down the wrong road you just say, hey, privately, I just want to let you know we need to get back on the right page here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be, ju- be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To me, there's kind of two halves to that sentence. One is present yourself as one who basically God would be proud of, and you don't have to be ashamed about what you just did. Right? Right? That should dictate how your conversations go with others. Are you going to feel ashamed about how you berated somebody or blasted them? Don't do that. And... Mm -hmm. Do it rightly dividing the word of truth. So as you're using the word of truth to correct somebody or teach somebody, make sure you're doing it in a way that's going to be pleasing to God and not embarrassing yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they might know the truth. Now, Apollo isn't in opposition. Of the gospel. He's just incomplete. So that verse is really more steered towards somebody who is in opposition, a non believer, and you are going to help them correct them in humility in hopes that they will receive this word and turn their lives over to Christ. But this kind of fits for Apollo too, in the sense that he could easily be like, I don't need your feedback, tent maker, because I kind of have this thing on lockdown but he didn't. Because my second point is receiving correction takes humility. Receiving correction takes humility. Now, Apollos could have easily been offended with the situation on so many levels, but thank God he wasn't. I've known a few ego-driven leaders In my time uh, between the military and the fire service, um, sometimes ego gets in the way and and people find it difficult to take correction or feedback from those around them, especially if they view them as inferior. Now, Apollos could have potentially, being such an expert in uh, public speaking and in the word, uh, he could have easily considered himself above the approach of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And he could have just been like, I'm not taking feedback from you because you don't rate. They don't even want you in the synagogue. Why am I gonna take feedback from you? But sometimes with an ego-driven leader like that, um, I remember this one time, I'll tell you another first story. I remember one time as a rookie, I was with one of the most, uh, I was with this captain who was so, so very good at his job, and he knew just about everything. Uh, And uh, so he was great at his job, but he was so ego-driven, he could never take the idea from anybody else. So to give him an idea to try to guide him in the direction you think we should go, you would have to kind of like plant it in his head like Inception. Just like if you could like find the dream and use like the keyword and like push it in, then all of a sudden he's like, I've got a great idea. You're like, that's a great idea. He wouldn't take it. Ever. And as a rookie, I didn't really notice because I didn't have any great ideas. But then when I would see how frustrating the, uh, the rest of the crew was, I'm like, why, why could you be so frustrated with him? He's like the king around here. And they're like, well, his ego's too big. He can't take any feedback. So if you're a one-man army and you can't listen to anybody else, what happens when your idea is the wrong idea? Everybody's going to get hurt, right? Right. Here's a story of how that happens. Now, this didn't happen to me. It didn't happen in Redmond. But it's, you know how sometimes you hear stories that the reason why you know them is so you don't do that? Yeah, it usually involves people getting killed. Um, We had this one chief who used to send out every line of duty death report in an email to the whole tire department. If you want to get bummed out at work, have somebody send you the report of everybody who's died doing your job. (laughs) A little depressing. It's like, listen, man, I'm just trying to put bacon on the table and you want to keep telling me how people in my job die. Nonetheless, here's the story of when people did die. So now, there's a grain silo, and there is a person trapped inside the grain silo, right? So, I mean, you're not rescue technicians, but think about it. Big metal tube. Somebody's trapped in the tube. How are you going to get them out? How about cut a hole inside of that thing? Just pull them right out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea, right? That's what the captain thought. Yeah, it's fine. Listen, I know that the dust created by the process of grain and everything like that is all these little flammable particulates in the air. I know that that's flammable and explosive, but see, the Cirque Sauce spins like this. All the sparks are flying out this way. It'll be fine. So you got two firefighters with a circ saw and there's a video of it. Don't go Google it cause it's kind of grim, but there's, they're cutting a hole in the side of this thing. And then, yeah, sure enough, they get about three cuts in and the whole thing explodes. They go flying away. And the backstory on it is, is that people on the scene knew that it was dangerous and knew that that was probably going to, it could happen at least. But the person in charge was so stubborn and so unwilling to take any kind of feedback or correction, nobody was willing to go talk to them about it. No one was willing to go stand in front of them and say, stop, we are not doing this. Because of the wrath of this guy. Mm -hmm. (coughs) So people got killed, right? So think about how many people could have got led astray by Apollos if Priscilla and Aquila never took the time to correct them, right? But to take the correction, it takes humility. Otherwise, people can get hurt. And those firefighters that day lacked the courage to stand in the gap and correct somebody who needed to be corrected. Proverbs 15.32 says this, He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. Oh. But he who heeds a rebuke gets understanding. Proverbs 8.33, hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Proverbs 9.9, 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. That's good. That's Apollos, right? Isn't that basically Apollos? They teach him, he, he grows in his learning. James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Proverbs eleven two. 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Amen. I like that one. Kind of sets us in the direction we need to go, right? Yeah. Be humble, gain wisdom, be prideful, get shamed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when bad things happen, the person in charge is shamed. Mm-hmm. We need to have a church culture where people can give and receive correction without offending or being offended. Because our goal should be to grow in Christ. Hard conversations are necessary. I hate having hard conversations. I choose to avoid them. I'll walk by something several times hoping that somebody else will notice it and handle it. Because I don't want to go have the hard conversation why are you complaining so much about this thing? And who are you to tell me to whatever? I don't know, man. Like, maybe we could just show each other a little bit of grace. Maybe I could try to call you out on something privately and you could say, hey, friend, it's not how it looks. Let me tell you the backstory. And then I could say, oh, gosh, I just cared so much about you that I wanted to make sure that we're gonna be Okay. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. That's why I'm not offended that you, that you pulled me aside. That's the healthy version, okay? They don't have libraries written about offense and humility and those kind of things because people do the, the healthy way all the time, right? Sometimes we need some support. My third point is this. The fruit of courage and humility is making ministry happen. We see in Acts chapter 18, verse 27 and 28. And when he desired to cross to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He and he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, showing them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. It sounds like whatever Priscilla and Aquila uh, corrected him on happened to work. (laughs) Because they explained to him, what did they say? Explained to him more completely? (laughs) More accurately? (laughs) Apparently, it worked. Because... He is now like uh, a great asset to what they're doing in their ministry. He's helping them out. They're glad to see him. Um, Apollo's ministry was effective because Priscilla and Aquila talked to him. If they hadn't talked to him, his ministry would be the opposite of effective. Paul would be running into disciples everywhere who didn't understand the Holy Spirit right? He had a lot of position and influence, didn't he? He spoke to a lot of people. But because they were willing to step out and have a hard conversation with him, everything goes well. Martin Luther, Martin Luther proposed that the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon of Apollos. Now, it's a little debatable. Uh, there's, there's a few different views of who it could be. Um, they used to think it was the Apostle Paul, but then they uh, decided it could be a few other people. But Apollos is a likely candidate. And so think about the book of Hebrews and what a great piece of scripture that is in explaining Christ and the gospel. And if Apollo wrote that, even Even today, millions of people have been affected by that ministry because of Priscilla and Aquila. The goal here is to have the gospel preach and to see lives changed. There's power in the Holy Spirit. We have to recognize those things. We can't, do, we can't walk around with an incomplete gospel and we can't walk around being afraid to correct our fellow brothers and sisters and we can't be so prideful that we can't hear it from somebody. And you may know people like that who you know you can't go talk to because they won't receive it. Yeah. Yeah. I know people like that. If you don't know people like that, it's probably you, right? <laughs> good, joke. And everybody else is like, uh. yeah, Thank God that Priscilla and Aquila were steadfast in their ministry. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Thank God that Apollos was humble enough to receive correction. Yeah. We must be willing to share the whole gospel, too. That's the thing, and I think if there's a criticism of the modern-day church, is that they're only sharing part of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. That's the criticism, right? They're not sharing the whole thing. Yep. They're sharing one side and not the other. If, if you're only hearing about one side of who Jesus is, then you're going to be like those disciples that Paul ran into who were like, whoa, 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 wait a second. We didn't even hear that whole other part. Right? Right? What if they hadn't run into Paul? They could have spent their whole lives believing that they knew what the gospel was and they knew who Jesus was and never have the Holy Spirit inside of them and never have salvation. It's not good enough just to know who he was, right? You have to have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have to receive him, right? You have to know that he is the Messiah that they were waiting to see. He's the coming Messiah. You have to know that. You have to know that he was predicted in Scripture. You have to know that he is the one that was sinned. You have to recognize that he actually physically died and was buried in the grave and then physically rose to life again under his own accord because he is God. Yes. Was witnessed by hundreds of people. The testimonies last thousands of years. You have to believe all that. But then you also have to repent, right? Repent for the kingdom of God doesn't have, preparing the way for the one who's to come. But after you repent, You have to turn away and give your life to Christ and live for Him, have Him inside you, correct? Am I right? If the gospel is only you have to apologize for what you did and then just go do whatever you want, then wouldn't that be similar to the way Apollos was preaching it? Here's the deal you repented, there's nothing else. But he was corrected, right? So, us in our gospel today, us in our churches today, we have to remember that it's not good enough just to apologize to God for the things you did. You have to turn away from those wicked ways and receive Him inside as your Lord and Savior and change your ways and follow Him. Am I right or wrong? Are you with me? All right. Now it's your turn. Let's bow your heads. If that's you today and you were dealing with an incomplete gospel somebody told you once it was good enough just to tell God you're sorry and walk and and just keep doing what you're doing then, then you need to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. If you're in this place and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, you never repented and turned away and want to come to him right now, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, tonight, I want you to walk up here and have somebody pray with you. Like Billy Graham said, why do you make people walk up front? He said, because if the, if the spirit inside of you is not, the conviction inside of you is not enough to make you stand up and walk front, then how is it going to help you when you walk out the door? So if you want to give your life to Christ today, come do it right now. We got people up here who are willing to pray for you. Partner with you in this. We'll all go to heaven together. All right, you had your chance. Don't leave this place without giving your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you so much, Lord God. Uh, I just give you glory and praise. I, I pray that that word was for somebody in here today, Lord God. I pray that they would um, change their ways because of your word, Lord. In your holy name, amen. 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 Go get your kids. <laughs> hey, friend. Uh, real quick for you. My intelligence, people, you me information that the construction that's going out Going on, you saw me get in, it poured wet tar over on this street, so I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the be careful if you park over there, um, if you going not, maybe we will come back to the parking lot and go. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory Live Stream. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check us out online at faithandvictory.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you'd like to financially support Faith and Victory Church's ministry, please text FAVC to 77977. God bless you and keep you. From the FVC Live Team.